Welcome in gamers. On this episode of Game Changers of Health, we're diving into the world of education and gaming. More specifically, we're looking at how teaching humans new ideas and concepts through joyous experiences is intrinsically tied to the gaming space. I'm joined today by Lynn Feline, founder of Playbull, director of the Play to Prevent Lab, and faculty member at Yale University. My discussion with Lynn will cover how she's cracked the code, literally and figuratively, and how harnessing the power of play enables healthier and happier lives for adolescents. Then in our retro segment, we bring in 21 Grams EVP of strategy, Justin LaMonica, to discuss how these same principles are applied and how we leverage gaming to train healthcare practitioners every day. So Lynn, welcome to Game Changers of Health. I'd love for you to just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you have going on. Sure. So thank you, Devin, for having me here. Um, I too am really excited about the work that we do and sharing it with you and your audience. Um, So I am on faculty at the Yale School of Medicine, and I am a practicing physician, but I do spend most of my time doing research. And my research primarily is in the area of developing and evaluating video games as interventions to address some of the most critical health outcomes in teenagers. And so uh, in order to do this, I created the Play to Prevent Lab about 13 years ago with funding from the National Institutes of Health. And uh, we have now completed our fifth video game. And the process we uh, engage in is really rigorous development, uh, engaging our end user at every step of the way and then testing them using solid scientific methods such as randomized control trials. So it's been a great adventure. Would not have expected 15 years ago that I would be doing this work as a, a doctor for adults, um, <laughs> but it's all worked out really nicely and I feel like we've had enormous impact in our games. Wonderful. Well, congrats on completing your fifth game. Tell us a little more about the categories of these games and and kind of the origin of Playable. Yeah, so the games really have, have primarily been funded through, as I mentioned, the NIH and then also foundation funding and have been very much in response to major crises that we've seen in, in healthcare, especially for youth. So our first game focuses on risk reduction and HIV prevention. That was a call from the NIH about building interventions uh, around HIV prevention in young teens, particularly. And then what followed was similarly, there was a big call for increasing testing for HIV and other sexually transmitted infections in teens. So we produced our play test game in response to that. And then most recently, given the uh, opioid crisis uh, and the concomitant mental health crisis, there was a large call from the NIH for interventions around prevention in those areas. So we built our Play Smart game, which was our most recent game that targets promotion of mental health and then prevention of opioid misuse in older teens, so high schoolers. And Playable is my company that I spun out from my, my academic lab in very much in response to the pandemic. Uh, late 2020, there was a huge uptick in requests for our games, primarily because Kids were at home, teachers were in need of content, parents were in need of content. And so 
we became sort of overwhelmed by the demand. And so in early 2021, I spun out Playable for the prime, primarily the reason being to respond to all that demand. Right. The, the lab was busy with research and we needed to create an entity that focused on the, the distribution of these games to get them in as many hands as possible. Yeah. And do you know how many hands these, these <laughs> games have touched at this point? So to date, we have distributed close to half a million logins. Oh my gosh, congratulations. Wow. Thank you. And all over the world, I think one of the most, the two of the most rewarding things that I see, because I see all of these requests that that come through. One is when we get them from kids. So to have a 13-year-old boy request uh, one of our games and say, I love this game. I started playing in school and I want to finish. Please send me, you know, logins. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other is, is our request, which has been increasing from all over the world, all continents, and to really see the reach and, and what's, you know, clearly an applicability of, of what we've developed to yes. a range of different populations. So that's, that feels really rewarding. Yeah. I mean, it, it aligns completely with with the prevalence of gaming globally, right? The the yep. three billion or so odd people that that are gaming in one way or another. I also love that anecdote about a thirteen year old kid saying, "I started it and now I want to finish it." That's such a pillar of gaming mechanics one on one is is giving that incentive to keep going, to uncover, to discover, be curious. So applying that to learning outcomes, it, it's just a no-brainer. And, and it's a principle that we use a lot when we are developing games for HCPs as well. It's that same concept of make it engaging, make it interesting, make it relevant. And the learning comes way easier and the retention goes up through the roof as well. Exactly. Exactly. And I, and I think to hear it again, I think teachers have clearly recognized they're one of our biggest uh, group of requesters, uh, parents too, but to really hear it directly from kids. Cause I always get the question of, well, how are you going to compete with these wildly popular games, you know, Fortnite, you know, and it's like, but that's not our competition. Our competition is right. the really tedious, you know, eight hours of health education that you have someone yammering at you in school about. Um, but the fact that kids will write and be like, this is my favorite game. <laughs> I want to play yeah. for means that we we did something right, which is You're really doing a lot of things right. Yeah. I mean, as a, a parent of very young kids who aren't quite at the video game age mm. uh, and not having been a teenager for a long time, I, I don't feel like I have as much insight into this population of, of teenagers. But if my memory serves me correctly, most teens aren't wanting to talk to their parents about STDs. Most teens aren't wanting to talk with, uh, you know, those in authoritative roles in their life mm-hmm. about a lot of these really sensitive topics like opioid addiction, HIV, drug use. So to have something that is almost private too, like they can do it in their own time, they can take in the information and without being in a room full of their peers. Yeah. Again, I just think you're really hitting on some true goldmine standards of, of how to get this life-saving information to, to a very hard to reach, but very easy to manipulate good, <laughs> bad, or otherwise population. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I will add that an unexpected but very positive side effect and what we've heard from parents anecdotally is that they will say, 
oh my God, my child came home and at the dinner table started asking questions. You know, I've never been able to talk to them about sex. I've never been able to talk to them about drugs or alcohol. And all of a sudden, because they played the game, they have questions and they feel comfortable talking about it. And so it had that impact of sort of introducing the discussions in a safe and comfortable way for kids. And parents, you know, aren't always very comfortable with it. So to have their child initiate the discussion was a real plus that we did not really expect. So, yeah. Oh, it's great. Yeah. Um, hopefully by the time my kids are, are teenagers, there'll be 25 <laughs> of these games to exactly. help address everything. I'll no. just be like, I have a hard time talking here. Play this game. Well, that's please. it is that we all, we all need the help. You know, parents yes. are, as you said, you know, I haven't been a teenager for a long time and you know, it, it is hard to talk to your own kids about these topics. And so anything that makes it easier. Anything that facilitates that discussion in an open and honest way is is really important. Yeah. Well, let's drill into that a little more. You were kind enough to, to give me a demo of uh, a few of the games. And the one that I chose for really for no particular reason is, is the one focused on uh, opioid misuse. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, huge topic in our country. Um, I live in a part of our country where there is a lot of opioid um, abuse happening in some of the more rural areas with high schools. So I was very curious to see how it was approached. And one thing that struck me when I was playing, first of all, congrats on not only an effective game, but a a beautiful game, very user friendly, very fun. I enjoyed my time in the game. I felt like it moved along at a good clip. Um, and I know you had great partners and developers working on it. So so big shouts there. But the one thing that I think can sometimes feel dialed in is is the the dialogue, the scripting that comes with uh, the the text message uh, function, the SMS function of the game. I felt like it was so authentic. Now, again, I've not been a teenager for a long time. But according to what movies and TV are telling me, I really felt like the the copy was very true to current linguistic trends. I felt like the pace of in the group chats of them coming through kind of rapid fire. I just I really felt like I was in a chat thread with with my friends and had taken like a time machine. So wondering if you can just maybe think back to when you were developing those scripts. How close were you to that process? How did you get that authentic voice? Because we are a creative agency after all. So hearing a little bit about the creative process would be great. Sure. And thank you for, for saying all of that, because it is something that uh, I and my team are really proud about in terms of the way that we develop these games. And again, you know, a huge shout out to Shell Games, who has been our game development partner for many, many years, all five games, as well as to the NIH. And that was funded through their HEAL initiative, which stands for helping to end addiction long term and this is a project I've wanted to work on for a very long time. And then to my team who just, you know, this game, it took 16 months and they really, wow. they really dug into it. But sort of the, the secret behind it is engaging teenagers from day one. And so a major, major shout out to our team partners, um, focus groups, interviews, sharing what we create with them uh, is to make sure that it's authentic, to make sure that we're on target, because if it doesn't feel real or relevant to them, then there's no way that we're going to hit the mark when it comes to, you know, 
it actually having the impact that it needs to have. So all of those components, and you highlighted sort of the the SMS, the texting, and the social media, and this is where kids spend a lot of time communicating. So those words really needed to come from them. That dialogue really needed to come from them because, again, they will, you know, they will call us out very yes. quickly. If very, it, you can sniff that out oh, right yeah. away. And then we lose all credibility. And then, you know, the game is off, right. so to speak. So we really have been, and, and we've done that with each of our games, has included our teen partners through every stage of the development. Um, and then obviously the evaluation, they, they are the ones who help us to evaluate each of our games. So that's, that's critical to make sure that we end up with a product that is going to work for them. Right. And on the evaluation piece, I don't know how much you can share, but do you have a framework that you look at before you ship the game? Is it also being evaluated once it's in market? How do you all kind of see that? That's a great question. So we, for for the lab, we focus on evaluating our games using the most rigorous scientific methods. So typically a randomized control trial, very structured. We are really looking at efficacy and impact. And so um, our trials will typically, our first one was about 335 kids. Our second one was 300 kids. The current one where we're evaluating our Play Smart game, which is our opioid misuse prevention game, is 532 kids. Wow. So we follow them typically anywhere from six months to 12 months. The first game was 24 months, collecting data along the way to really demonstrate impact. Once these games and sort of part of the sister company Playbill's role is that once these games are out there, um, you know, in schools, school districts, in some cases in clinics, we want, we also want to make sure that we can provide information to those key stakeholders on how their specific group of, of kids did. They're very excited about all of our data. It's all published data, peer-reviewed data. But they also want to be able to say, well, what about my kids with this group mm-hmm. of kids? So uh, we do, we actually recently developed a data dashboard that feeds all the in-game data that's produced through the game software to this dashboard. So it's very, very rich engagement data, uh, shows you know where, how long students or, or kids played, what areas they played, what they were exposed to, what they replayed, this sort of stickiness factor. But in addition to that, we're going to be building out a system that really demonstrates impact in the real world so that we can say for your group of 100 students, either individually or, or aggregated data to say, you know, this is what they learned. This is, this is what the impact was with your group. Wow. And that's, I think, really critical. Our scientific data is very solid, but it's completely reasonable to want to see it in your own cohort. Yeah, absolutely. And one question I also had kind of rolling around in my head, you know, not a battle I fight every day, but gaming comes with quite a few stereotypes, (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. whether it's uh, just for kids, whether it's just for grown men with (laughs) no social life, uh, whether it's violent, uh, you know, all these things that that we hear in headlines because it's easy you know, clickbait or just ingrained uh, societal ideas of this space. You know, we try really hard to dispel those when we're working with with new clients to say our line is forget everything you you think you might know. Mm -hmm. 
So have you come up against any either school boards, parent groups that have said, we don't want to introduce this medium because kids already are playing too many video games or it's isolating. Um, obviously, when you all really debuted, it was a, a, a an abnormal time in our culture uh, from an in-person perspective. So curious if you if you had to have any of those tough conversations and how you were able to overcome them. Yes. And I think so you can add to that list, you know, gaming addiction was sort of another part of it. And, and I think that, I think that it has come up. I think that generally the perspective has shifted to where what I, what I hear back from sort of those trusted adults, if you will, you know, teachers, parents, you know, healthcare providers is that they see it as an engaging, compelling um, delivery vehicle. But in this case, it's to deliver something healthy. So it's sort of getting past, you know, our games aren't violent. Our games are, you know, try to be, you know, we make a huge effort to have them be inclusive and kind and fair and fun. Um, And so the content is not dangerous at all. And it's really just using a technology that people love to be in, right? Finding them where they are to deliver something. You know, the, the issue around addiction does come up, I mean, in part because, you know, some of our games deal with areas of addiction. And, you know, I think it's fair to say that no one should be spending extraordinary amounts of time doing anything. That is sort of one of the signs of addiction is where you're replacing other healthy behaviors with this one behavior. You know, but our games are, you know, six hours, eight hours, 16 hours is the most. So we're not talking about, you know, endless hours. And um, and so it's really the idea is sort of flip something that, you know, could potentially have issues with it. I I don't personally feel like it does, but to, to be something healthy. Right. I love that point. It's more about the content that you're delivering than, well, I would say it's about the medium, right? Because that is where these, these kids are. And when we talk to our clients about a patient population, it's the same thing. It's who are we to judge that this is where they prefer to spend their downtime. Um, Let's let's get in there with them and deliver messaging or awareness or education because it's just that much easier. We're not forcing them to go somewhere that they don't want to be or have never been before. Exactly. Plus, it's accessible. It's, you know... We all have a gaming device on us at all times. Right. Our games, they're all web mobile. So whatever device you're on, as long as you have internet, you can log in and it becomes your game. If you log out and log in again, you pick up where you left off. And so they're not issues of, oh, you know, a lot of, you know, human manpower that's required. They can be standalone. They can be used as, you know, a a tool that say teachers use in addition to what they're already teaching. Um, So they're very flexible and, and kids, they can travel with kids which is great because kids are on school buses and kids are in libraries and kids are all over. And if they can pick up and play, even if they just have 15 minutes, hey, that's a dose of something that's going to be good for them. Yeah. We touched on this a little bit uh, before with our HCPs, but looking at the research you've done, and I know it's apples to oranges, but do you feel that 
the principles you're leveraging and the mechanics that you're leveraging for teens is as applicable to adults? And do you see a, a space? I mean, hopefully you do. You're on the podcast. But <laughs> how do you see the space for for healthcare and gaming from an educational standpoint to to us adults? So I think I think human beings just love to play. I, I think that that is a fundamental part of all of us. And so I think that there's huge applicability. I ended up, even though I am trained as an internal medicine doctor, which means I'm an adult doctor, so much of what I heard from my patients, um, who many were young adults, but that they would say to me, oh, if I only knew then what I know now, I would have made such different decisions. And that really sort of made me pivot to think about how can I work more in prevention? How can I get them earlier in the timeline as opposed to trying to deal with these things later? But the fact is, is that there are major, major impacts that we can have everywhere along the age, you know, range. Um, so, and, and people do, they get, they get pulled in, they get, you know, they get engaged. And I think that once you're engaged, that's nine tenths of the battle in terms of Absolutely. addressing, particularly addressing health issues, which in general, people don't necessarily like to address. So if you can make it fun and engaging, I think it will work for, for all ages. Yeah. And we're seeing it work. We're seeing the results of, on the patient side, more engagement with content about a disease or a treatment. On the HCP side, you're seeing them want to get their their continuing education credits from something based in play versus just another talking head webinar, you know? So we're seeing it happen. I almost think it's more of a, of a PR issue maybe for gaming, Mm. which is neither of our jobs to solve, (laughs) but we're, we're part of shifting that, that mindset around truly the limitless capabilities that gaming provides. So it's great to hear that in practice and both clinically you're, you're a proponent of of this medium. Yes. Yes. So where do you go from here? You've got five <laughs> incredibly successful games. I'm not going to ask you to Time give us vacation. your... vacation. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so after your well-earned vacation, where do you see the company going? Are there any areas you're kind of toying with getting into? Are you looking to break out of, of uh, youth prevention? What do you, what do you have in store? So I, you know, I think that there are a number of things. I think that there's certainly endless topic areas uh, that we can go into where we've done some recent formative work specifically focused on mental health and um, stigma related to mental health. There was a recent report that came out of the Office of the U.S. Surgeon General around the interface between social media and mental health. And we heard that in a number of the focus groups we conducted. So thinking about potentially creating an independent game, a new game that was really focused on mental health, stigma around mental health, the impact of social media. Certainly, you know, gun violence is another epidemic, um, particularly yeah. in this country. Um, so I think there, there, there are just not enough hours in the day for all the content that we could could move forward with. But I think those are some of the the things we've been thinking about. I think for the company to think about, we have a huge amount of demand, as I mentioned, from educators, particularly increasing from clinicians. Um, We had a a recent discussion with a clinician who has a very busy adolescent medicine practice and seeing a lot of vaping 
in her patients. Mm. And so wanted to offer our smoke screen game, which focuses on vaping and smoking prevention to her patients in their waiting room. Great idea. Right. They're there. (laughs) Right. And this is a way to extend the efforts of the healthcare provider, right? They're just, you know, in that 20 or 30 minute visit, you can't cover everything. So if there's something that can help do that in a way that kids are happy to accept, then that's a win-win. So I think thinking about, you know, the other areas is insurance companies, payers, thinking about these games being on their platforms for their team members, um, really ways to, again, get these games into as many hands as we can. We have a huge amount of incoming traffic, but I think they're also a lot of other areas, you know, be it libraries, be it criminal justice, have seen a huge increase in interest from criminal justice as a as an alternative to suspension or to prosecution that these games, especially the ones that focus on, on uh, smoking or opioids, that this could be a positive, productive alternative to a kid being suspended from school or facing, you know, criminal persecution. So. Oh, my gosh. And that would have like, I'm just thinking about the ripple effect of that on a on a kid's life, you know, because it goes from, all right, now I'm out of school, can't see my friends falling behind. Exactly. And who knows what they're going to learn during that time to, like you said, a productive, impactful, meaningful use of their time that is going to get you, you know, way better results in the long run. Right. And it, if it keeps them maybe chills, if it keeps them in school, I mean, I had a yeah. one teacher wrote us and said, I'm going to have to suspend half my eighth grade class unless I can give them something else. And our games are evidence based and they're they have the data behind them to show that they are effective. And so this right. is a is an again, an alternative to having to take drastic steps that, as you said, can really impact a kid's life for a long time. Wow. So where can people find you, Playbill, more information about the work that you do? Yeah. So Playbill is at Playbill.com, which is P-L-A-Y, play, B-L. So it rhymes with able, the idea of sort of playing to be able um, or more able. And um, so that website, our play to prevent website, which is play number two, prevent.org, talks about the lab's work and I can be reached through either of those those sites. And um, yes, I'm happy to talk with anyone about if they have interest in learning more about these games, using these games. Um, Certainly have seen them increasingly being used in college students because we really do go up to age 20. And so that's, you know, early college students, but um, a lot of applicability in a lot of different groups. Yeah. Well, Lynn, it has been a pleasure not only meeting you, but getting to play some of your games and having this discussion today, we covered a lot more than than our previous discussions. I just couldn't say thank you enough as a parent. Uh, I, I am certainly going to to keep you all in mind as, as I head into some of those trickier waters. And I just um, give you all the credit in the world for dedicating your, your life to this. I think you are likely impacting way more than the 500 million hands these games have reached. And I hope you are just very proud of your work. And we can't wait to to bring this information to the podcast and and to our clients. Well, thank you. It's 500,000. Although I'd love it to be. Oh, what did I say? You said 500 million. That's aspirational. That's, that's what it feels that's, like. That's, <laughs> not, 
<laughs> that's next next year. We'll get to that. Uh, next uh, year. <laughs> but, I love that growth. And thank you for, you know, getting the word out and and, you know, being a real advocate for this. I I feel like it's, you know, there's so many things that kids are facing and families are facing that we need to just be able to do what what we can to help. So, yeah. And all we have is our health, right? So any yep. way to get healthier, prevent unhealthy things from happening, we've we've got to do. So Absolutely. Thank you again so much for being here and I'll link all of those uh, sites in our show notes so people can go and check you out. Great. Thanks, Devin. I appreciate it. Hey, everyone. I am thrilled to have Justin LaMonica with us here today. Justin is our Executive Vice President of Strategy here at 21 Grams, and he focuses on all things physician engagement and medical education. Uh, Justin, we're thrilled, as I said, to have you. You're one of my favorite people to work with, and we're doing a lot of fun things together. So tell us a little bit about you and what you do here. Yeah, well, thank you so much, Devin. Uh, Really excited to be here. And, and my role, as you said, is, is really thinking of new and innovative ways to reach healthcare professionals like physicians, nurses, and pharmacists, and to engage them with information in ways that, that spur action, in ways that help them deliver the best care possible for patients, um, and really strive to move the healthcare industry forward. Awesome. And for people listening who maybe are unfamiliar with the landscape of of HCP education what does that mean you know i think most people think you go to med school or you go to nursing school you graduate you're practicing you're there on the job but what does it really look like today for for these practitioners yeah so all healthcare professionals and and physicians especially they they obviously spend a lot of time in medical school and in residency and in learning what they need to learn in order to be a doctor or, or another healthcare professional. Um, but once they graduate medical school, the innovations in the industry keep moving forward, um, even when they're outside of that school environment. In fact, in 2021, there were more than 50 new drugs approved. And so if you think about a new life-altering medication being available every single week, these physicians it's really up to them and up to the industry that surrounds them for for them to stay at the top of their field, for them to be able to understand how to utilize the latest types of medications and other medical interventions, and be able to decide among all of these different choices that they have when selecting a treatment to make the best decision possible for that patient in that moment of time. So in medical education, we play an important role along with our pharmaceutical manufacturer partners and along with the rest of the life science industry in ensuring that physicians and other healthcare professionals are at the top of their game. And that sounds like a pretty big world to tap into. And we'll get into a little bit of how we're we're creating some different ways to do that. But how did you land in this corner of the world? What got you into, you know, physician engagement and med ed? I think like, like many of us, uh, I, I fell into it. it I wasn't <laughs> a young child imagining <laughs> uh, playing this role when, when I grew up. Um, but having worked in the healthcare industry space and healthcare communication specifically for more than 15 years, um, in the last few years, I started to have a really deep appreciation for the role that medical education could play. Um, and personally, what 
I recognize in the world of med- medical education is such a incredible, fertile space for innovation and for doing things in new and dynamic ways by leveraging technology, by leveraging creativity, and by tapping into data and understanding of healthcare customers' needs. It, it just seemed that medical education was one of the ripest areas that could be done better and could be done in more innovative ways. So that excited me a great deal. That's awesome. And we're going to kind of talk about what we heard from Lynn and the work she's doing with Playbill, but you're a gamer. When I arrived at 21 Grams, that was one of the first things that connected us was we both love to, to play video games. How did you get into video games? Have you been doing it since you were a kid? And and what was it that clicked for you that we could bring this into our agency? Because right from the jump, you were one of the first people to be to be pushing for this here at our agency and and help to partner to really bring us to where we're at today. Yeah. So so I've been a a lifelong gamer um, and someone who really gaming has has played a part of my life since I could remember. Um, and as Lynn was saying, you know, games have a tremendous impact on people's lives when it comes to caring for their health, when it t- comes to making a connection with the world around them. And in in starting in the field of medical education, I, I learned that it's not so different in advancing the skill set of HCPs. Um, when we think of skill development, it really is an, in, an inherent part of gaming. Mm-hmm. Um, and the healthcare industry as a whole, I think, has just started to appreciate how active learning and the type of experiences that gaming can provide, that these types of approaches to education by linking gaming experiences to delivering new educational concepts and new ways to approach clinical practice, it's by using things that allow physicians, in this case, and other healthcare professionals, an opportunity to participate in that learning experience and not just watch or listen, but actually do, that it could result in exponentially higher outcomes for that physician. That things like the retention of those concepts, the actual translation of those concepts into real-world clinical practice, using something like gaming to allow them to participate in that process can have a profound impact on how they then practice medicine. Yeah, And for me, I think what's been most eye-opening about the work that you do is seeing the receptivity of these practitioners. Um, Often, I think we get in our own way and we think, oh, they're never going to make the time for this or this isn't going to be engaging. But for those clients that are willing to be some of the first to implement gamification, active learning through digital experiences, when they show up at their congresses or they show up in those KOL sessions and see the engagement happen and see how happy the the practitioners are to engage in something that for a long time has been very rinse and repeat. It's really wonderful to see. And it's really refreshing, too, because as a patient, right, we're all patients to know that our healthcare providers are taking a, a an engaged and and passionate approach to staying on the cutting edge, it's very reassuring for me. I don't know how it makes you feel, but but I love to see it. So I totally agree, Devin, and it really is fascinating. And I think the way the life science industry has approached medical education for the last thirty or forty years, it hasn't really changed much. Um, and while where Being able to deliver that medical education in a more digital way, in a more multi-channel way, 
the the mode of what that experience really looks and feels like hasn't changed much in decades. Um, before I, I briefly mentioned this notion of of active learning, and uh, the best way to understand active learning is to is to understand what the the contrast to active learning is, which is which is passive learning. And passive learning is how many of us were brought up in public school and in university, and it's how many physicians continue to be engaged by life science companies to help them build new skill sets through medical education. And so passive learning is watching a lecture or viewing a video or listening to a podcast. It's a great way to hear about information, but the retention of that information and the translation into actual behavior and practice can sometimes be limited. Mm -hmm. Now, on the other side is, is active learning, and that's actually participating in the learning process. A great example of active learning is, is Duolingo and how they revolutionize the way many of us are able to learn a new language. And while there is you know, a, a degree of, of listening and reading and passive learning, the crux of that experience and what has made Duolingo so valuable and, and what has made it um, so successful is that active learning component of creating interactive environments and places where people can play to learn that new language and learn those you know, few words they just learned in French or Spanish and apply it in, in a real sentence. Mm -hmm. And so it, it's, it's interesting because I think life science companies, they are just starting to appreciate the role that active learning can play. And I like to you know, speak to, to our partners in life science companies of how, how being a doctor is, is much more like being a pilot than it is being a mathematician. Doctors need to practice. They need to exercise their learnings in a real-world environment to know that they are effective and much more than they need to recall and apply the data. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the data is very important, but in order for it to click, in order for them to utilize a new medication or change the way that they're treating a chronic disease, they want to be a little bit more hands-on than the typical academic um, approach. Mm -hmm. And really what physicians do is, is a type of craft. It's, it's caregiving. It, it may actually be the most hands-on profession on earth. But the life science industry that in part exists to improve their skill set still operates as if they are mathematicians. Right, right. Well, it's that art and science of, of being in, in the healthcare space. And I think gaming is, is very much a, a nice uh, analogy to that. You've got the the art form of gaming, which is storytelling, how it makes you feel, the experiences that you have, but it would be nothing but without the the science and technology behind it. Um, I, when those two things come together is when you see the most success. So I couldn't agree with you more. And that leads into a nice segue to what Lynn is doing with Playable. Um, I got my hands on the demo. And as I mentioned to her, I was just really, really impressed with how the game looked, how it how it played, the incentives that are offered. And I was trying to put myself in the mindset of a teenager playing these games. And I don't know if you had to participate in the D.A.R.E. program uh, as a kid, but uh, the D.A.R.E. program was this passive way of a, a cop or someone else would come into your school and talk to you about drugs and alcohol and why you should stay away from them. And, you know, a groundbreaking program at the time, but with today and and all the different outlets that 
everyone has and access to information everyone has, there has to be a way to break through, especially to teenagers who are on their phones, connecting with with their peers in a way that feels very authentic. And I think they nail that. I really enjoyed Lynn's segment. Um, and, and it started to make me think of how teenagers and doctors aren't actually all that dissimilar, especially when it comes to the challenges um, that a lot of our partners are faced with, with engaging them. Yes. Um, teenagers are set in their ways. They, they think they, they know everything. They think they know enough. Um, they have very limited time and many distractions. They're very brand loyal. <laughs> they don't like to be told that they're wrong. Right. Um, I'm describing teenagers here, but for brands engaging with HCPs, it, it really isn't much different. So it's so important that we reach them in ways that demand their attention, much to Lynn's point in engaging with uh, teenagers. And make sure that when we're engaging doctors, that it's worth their time and, and dare I say, gives them an enjoyable experience. Right. Um, one that they stay with, one that they yearn for, and certainly one that they remember. Yeah. And I think too, it's almost overcoming that idea that learning can be fun. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with enjoying your time developing a new skill. I almost think that as we get older, that becomes uh, less important in our, our society to feel enjoyment when you're learning a new task, unlike when you're younger and there's that curiosity and optimism, the world's so big. But what I think this does is really bring that back to what makes us inherently human, which is our curiosity, our, our desire to want to learn and grow. And that's where I think gaming can and does play this critical role for, for HEPs, which, as you described, are a group of people who are crunch for time. They have set patterns and behaviors that are very hard to change. So by implementing something that inherently rewires the way that they think about learning, we can really break through. I'm curious if if anything about Lynn's work or or what Lynn talked about surprised you in any way, uh, especially in, in how it relates to the work that you do every day. You know, I, I think it's it's really to see the similar challenges of being able to thoughtfully reach, effectively engage, and create a fertile environment for behavior change with teenagers through what Lynn is doing. That again is really not all that distant from what we need to do with, with healthcare professionals and, and what many brands should do when, when engaging any adult audience. And this notion that, you know, gaming is, is on the opposite end of the spectrum as learning is something we, you know, we hear every day and learn more about every day of just how false it is. Mm-hmm. And that when when we're creating new new memories, when we're creating new neural pathways, the most effective way to create that is through joy. It is through that that dopamine release. It's through that moment of of feeling something that that we remember. We we remember ten times more feelings than the things we do or the things that we've said or the things that we've heard. And so the ability to package these crucially important topics and learnings for some of the busiest people on the planet of, of doctors, especially those who are treating advanced disease and chronic disease, to be able to give them something that delivers that information with joy is not only something that will demand their attention and be worth their time, but it's something that they're going to be able to take with them. They're going to be much more likely to apply it in that clinical practice and much more likely to, to share it with their peers 
And the outcomes of that and the this improved behaviors of physicians will lead to improved patient outcomes. It will lead to healthier and longer lives of patients. I mean, what else is there to say that that sums it up beautifully? Anything else you want to make sure we touch on in terms of, you know, we've got clients or future clients listening. What would you say to them about making this leap into this space? What do you hope that they take away from from what we talked about today? Yeah, I, I think, you know, we've been so fortunate to have a lot of partners in the life science industry that understand the value of gaming, that understand that it is part of the national culture now. It's it's not something Global that you'll culture. 100%. It's, it's no longer relegated to the arcades and with the unathletic kids that just do it to spend time after school. But the ability that gaming has in particular to really engage anyone and be able to engage them in a different way and leave an impression, again, through those feelings of joy that come with those learnings, it goes beyond these vast numbers of physicians who are playing Switch and playing PS5 on their free time. And there's many of them. Even those that are not active gamers, that are not spending their free time or their time where they're seeking entertainment playing games, have so much to value from a gaming type of experience. It's inherent in human nature. I don't think it's any different than how storytelling is inherently human. The experience of playing games, the experience of competition, the experience of of learning something and then being able to feel some achievement from retaining those learnings is an inherent part of who we are. And it's something that carries universal value. Amazing. Justin LaMonica, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And we hope to have you back. I hope so, too. Thanks, Devin. Thank you so much for joining us on today's episode. You can find out more about Playable at Playable.com. That's P-L-A-Y-B-L.com. There you can explore the games and meet the team behind these incredible offerings. We hope you learned something new about the role gaming plays in the education of our own healthcare providers. And be sure to follow Real Chemistry on LinkedIn and Twitter for more information about the podcast, which releases every month. You can reach out to us at gamechangers at realchemistry.com anytime. Again, a big thanks to my guests, and we'll see you all next month. Thanks, and game on.